Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping staring I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes Hello and welcome back to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemire. And we are entering season two. Season two. Twin Peaks behind us and nothing but movies ahead. For the time being. For now. Until season three. Where we'll be wearing double-knit polyester both Oh. To understand what it was like to come late to polyester. Well, I don't know that we're going to be able to find a pantsuit in my size. Um, we can try. Okay. Or you have to make one. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Come late to being. We'll find uh, some tailored. polyester uh, curtains, and right. you can make me a pantsuit out of them. And uh, it will be double knit polyester. We'll have our own a project runway. Suit. Yes, exactly. White? Yes. Oof. That's brave. I'm a woman be... of childbearing age. I don't know that a white suit is a great idea. <sighs> Mr. Rock and Tattoo. So we'll get together with the, the TV that we missed when we were kids. I don't even think Fantasy Island was in my lifetime. Although no. neither was oh, the movie that we watched. No, it wasn't. So we just watched Midnight Cowboy. It's very sad. It's a very sad movie. I didn't know it was going to be sad. Um, War- warning, everyone. This movie is real sad. It's... Um, I mean, it won Best Picture, so right. chances are better than 50% that it will make you cry. That's pretty much how it works, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and it does it without Nazis. Yes, no, Which, there are no Nazis in this movie. Yes, no Nazis. No declared Nazis. Who's to say what those club kids were? Right. <laughs> they could be just about anything. But before we get into that, how was your week? My week was actually uh, filled with writing and watching really unusual movies. Anything uh, good? Or um, are you gonna? Are we going to save it till we your recommend? We will save it till a recommend, but uh, how was your week? My week was good. It was busy, and it was an hour shorter than it should have been. Mm. I want my hour back. I want my hour back. I did spend uh, eight hours of this weekend playing one board game. Uh, I'm not done with it yet. And by I, I mean we're, my friend and I are playing via Skype. Can you recommend it so far? Oh, yeah, the game is great. It's called Eldritch Horror. It's uh, a massive uh, board game, cooperative board game based on H.P. Lovecraft's situation. Eldritch. Eldritch, yes, it's, they they put it, yeah. So we're fighting some sort of. Way. We're not even fighting an ancient one. We are fighting some sort of a cosmological event. I don't know how as people we're going to stop that, but hmm. but we've been doing pretty good. But seriously, it's been two nights of four hours a night playing via Skype, and we have gotten to the third act. So. It's an extensive so situation. So it's, it's actually acting kind of outside of the Lovecraft universe in that you have some agency, right? Because one thing that's... Well, I mean, yeah, it's a really game. It's not really... A, it, right. It's not a movie where I just sit there and the no, game No, no, But I mean, in me. Lovecraft's writing, everyone... Um, no one has any agency. They all sort of die at the end of the stories. Or the oh, it's very story. possible that we're all going to die. Right. Which is what you want in a game, I think. Yeah. The, the, um, one thing I never have to worry about Monopoly. Yes, no. <laughs> All of the 
games that I've ever played that are based on the Lovecraft mythology, mm -hmm. of which I have read zero but played several games right. on, the games are extraordinarily difficult. That's why they're co-op games. Mm -hmm. You're not playing against right. your competitor, your uh, your other game players. You're playing against the board and the game, which is well, actively trying to murder you. That could be a cultural uh, benchmark that you get to catch up with. What's that? Uh, oh, Lovecraft. I'd prefer not to. I, uh, well, there's um. I've I've seen that movie, uh -huh. the Madness movie. What's uh, the movie? What's the movie right. I'm talking about? In the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of which Madness, which is an official Lovecraft. No, but it's it's heavily borrowed from. Right. It's about as Lovecraftian as what I'm playing. Right. And I've played Eldritch Horror. I played Arkham Horror once, like 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I play uh, Arkham Horror, the Living Card Game. And I think I'm good on H.P. Lovecraft. His writing, I understand, is terrible, and he was a, not a good dude. His writing is really weighed down by his fondness for adjectives. And yes, um, he... Is he racist? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't and, remember if he was racist or just misogynist. Well, he's, I don't think he, his misogyny is, is really steep in the fact that he really didn't know much about women or people. Oh, he was a, a misanthrope generally, well, he right? He was a misanthrope generally, and he also was possibly agoraphobic. Oh. He didn't relate to people. He lived in a rambling old house. He was married at one point, and that didn't last for very long. So he did have, at points, he seemed like a, 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 what we would call a normal life, but others, he just avoided human beings altogether. And the racism isn't, I have to make it very clear, that's not reading modern ethics into a historical situation. This is actually him writing poems about how Negroes were made from what God left over. Yeah, um, no, he was yeah, not he was a great dude. Really, just uh, really that he was uh, very not just critical of religion, really intolerant about it, and so there was a lot that he. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting, given the ethos of his games and it, or well, yeah, his, uh, because stories. it's sort of like everything's out to get you. Mm -hmm. I think um, he's had some severe psychological problems. It seems like. So that's what I've been doing. I've been playing a, a board game for but many hours. But the game, hours. you can recommend the game, right? Oh, yeah. Elder Torch is a great game. And mm -hmm. uh, my friend uh, who I play board games with regularly via mm -hmm. Skype, it's a, a like a project we're doing. Right. Um, he has hundreds of board games, and I like playing board games, and he lives 250 miles away. So when I can't make it down there, we just get on Skype, and he sets it up and... Um, and then we play, and this game works really well that way. Uh, he's also got all like all but one of the expansions, so we're playing with like see this is seven culturally that I haven't gotten into. You don't enjoy a board game. Well, no, I I don't. I'm um I've decided on a new project. Ooh, a new project. About, which is uh, given my condition, which is undiagnosed really, but you want to clarify that? Um, I. Uh, I don't know if the reader's hearing, given my condition, right. are gonna, like, he's not dying. No, no, no. It's uh, something like synesthesia. I don't know exactly to what extent it's interfering in, in my daily life, but I'm going to start taking pictures of objects that give me some sort of peculiar emotional response okay. and posting those on Facebook. That's a good idea. And saying, can you... Because I often get that question. This makes me feel X. Am I the only one? I get one? physically sick if I'm looking at particular colors. I um, Well, that has to do prob probably also with your color blindness. Right. But there's certain things like neon colors actually make me right. physically ill. And uh, just today I was over at a friend's house and I look up at their shower head and 
was actually really physically disgusted by the shape of the shower head. The shape of the shower head or the holes? Because you know that hole. Yeah, and it's it's oh, uh, when yeah. I showed the picture, I think I captured very well what was it, what I was looking at, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to post those. And really, I think to me the the great horror is a, a blank wall, a blank white wall, and I don't know if I can ever communicate that to people. That feels like an agoraphobic issue. Uh, which is strange because that's not a problem that I have, but for some reason it's it's always right. But it might trigger the same kind of right. disquiet. Yeah, I mean not to say that true agoraphobics are just no, no, no. disquieted, but it may trigger the same thing in your brain that causes uh, the the dread and fear in, you know yeah. what I mean, just an expanse. And that might be a good word for it, dread. It's looking at this object for some reason, it really did kind of make me irritated. But I, I think that's going to be interesting to see what the reactions to that are. Yeah, that'll be interesting. And it'll maybe give people a vocabulary right. to discuss Cause there isn't really a vocabulary. their various disquietudes. Right. All right, you want to get into the movie? Absolutely. Hey, everyone. (laughs) Y'all. We watched Midnight Cowboy. Uh Now, Midnight Cowboy is a movie that was released in May of 1969. It ended up winning... Which is when I was born. It was when you were born. Also released May of 1969. (laughs) My co-host. It won the three Academy Awards Uh at the following year's Academy Awards. It is the only X-rated film, which we'll get into the ratings of the rating of it um, in a little bit. The only X-rated film to win the Best Picture award. It's also X is no longer a a rating that's that doesn't exist anymore. Now it would be probably NC-17. Although now we'll get into it, it probably wouldn't be rated above an R because the things that they said required the extra. Wouldn't require that extra now, um, given today's, I want to say, more mature sensibilities. Well, also a different, it's a different cultural sensibility now. But also better understanding of certain things. So this movie stars a very young John Voight. And it's the first time that I've ever seen John Voight in a movie and said, I see your daughter in you. So John Voight, if you don't know, uh, is Angelina Jolie's father. I actually don't know who her mother is, mm-hmm. but her Someone father. Very striking, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure, because <laughs> it, it's not his eyes that she has, but the shape of her face is mm-hmm. very evident in him in his face here. His lips, his mouth, very mm-hmm. much looks like her mouth, which it doesn't anymore. He grew out of that. I believe she's got his dimple, his chin dimple. Mm-hmm. You could really see her in him. And I, I've i seen John Voight in several things, and this was by right. far the clearest I could see his daughter in him. Uh, it also stars Dustin Hoffman. Uh, he's having some issues right now, Yeah, unfortunately. And those are the basically the two... It's basically a two-hander. Uh, there are small parts around them, but it's these two... Uh, doing most of the work in the movie. John Boyd is playing John, uh, Joe Buck. Right? Yeah. He's a dishwasher in Texas. He uh, decides to quit his job. He's a person with an active fantasy life. And that's an important distinction to make. Uh, many times in the film, you'll be seeing this sort of flashing into his fantasy life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, for a while, it's unclear whether we're looking at memories or right. fantasy or both. Because his fantasies go together. 
he starts the film by having a fantasy about putting his foot down and quitting his job, and instead he just sort of meekly comes in and announces himself to uh, the crew there and says he's leaving. He's leaving. I just came in um, for my last check. Right. They say, you're late. And he's like, I'm just here for my last check. And I'm like, dude, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, he shows, he shows up there and he... he um, Although he we're soon to find out that he has literally no work ethic. Right. So. <laughs> well, so he shows up. He says his goodbyes to another dishwasher. And he's gotten all fancy dressed. So right. he's got new boots. He's got a new jacket. Uh, it's fringe, fringe on the back, a new cowboy hat. And he, um, it's important to say that when he does this, he looks very much like the bumpkin idea of a well-dressed man. It is. And so, and that's what he's playing, essentially. Yeah. He's a person who's very innocent, um, despite the fact that well, he has a very, uh, innocent, um, well, we'll go into that. Yeah. So he's leaving because as he tells uh, his fellow dishwasher... Or cook. I'm not sure exactly. What I think it was. Yeah, it was um, unclear. That he is. Uh, he's going to New York to because there are women there who need loving, and most of the guys out there are tutti frutti, and that's yes. something that we should warn audiences about right off the bat. If you're going to see this movie, there is rampant homophobic language in this now, movie. It's important because well, it gives the context of the time, but also about the relationship that he later strikes up with another man. Yeah. And his own fear about being homosexual after an experience that he had. But yeah. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Um, but the F word is used liberally, the I would say, or conservatively. Oh, it's a political dig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they the, there's a lot of the F word. So if you're not down to hear that, it's uh-huh. totally understandable. But so be warned that that is it's in there. That's it's, it's a good word. Um, but I will say, uh-huh. it seems to me that it's coming from a place of fear legitimate fear right and the gay characters that are in the movie and there are gay characters per- right. portrayed in the film are not portrayed as bad or evil or no. wrong they're portrayed as fairly strong characters for what you see of them like mm-hmm. i said it's mostly john Voight and dustin hoffman right. and neither of them are who i'm talking about so the homophobia that's being shown is you can tell that it's deliberate right. in its placement, and a lot of it is clearly from real fear, like legit. Right. Like I always hear homophobia, and I'm like, "No, this you're is not afraid." Homophobia. <laughs> yes, this is true homophobia. I don't right. think homophobia now mm-hmm. is phobia. In some I think, cases, but way more right. often than not, right. it's just hatred or being an asshole. Right. In this case, there is legitimate fear, and right. we'll get and we'll get into right. why so that is. He leaves Texas, which is a really fly blown little town. It's that a he's super small town. And it's like a one right. stop. People probably, I'm I'm gonna imagine that in mm-hmm. in the '60s, there's still horse riders coming right. in, tying their tying right. their horses to the hitch to get supplies. Like it's a very small town. So he he goes to New York. Is with on a bus. On the bus, he's semi-literate, which is what you learn when he's not really had the skill set to write a postcard. Uh, yeah, he, he goes to write a postcard, mm-hmm. and it's there are so many like little poignant, sad things. Uh-huh. He's got a postcard of uh, New York City, and he like circles like a building, 
and point and draws an arrow to it and he says like it says like this is me mm-hmm. the writing looks like an eight-year-old right. like it's and then he starts writing on the back of it and gets and and then has this fantasy of the people back in texas reading his right, words exactly. and he gets frustrated and that it's unclear to me whether he's frustrated at his inability to say what he wants to say or write what he wants to say, or if he thinks that it's going to be discounted by those people anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right. And he crumples up the, the postcard and throws it away. We're also treated to flashbacks of, because the first woman he meets, Sylvia Miles, is this New Yorker. He picks up on her because his way of trying to find that woman who's going to support him is just to wander the streets dressed like a cowboy yeah, and, and try to uh, try to pick up on whoever will respond. He does with a woman who he eventually asks for money after they have their sexual encounter. She winds up getting money from him because she throws a huge tantrum. She ho- throws a huge tantrum. She's like, I'm not one of those old ladies on 42nd Street right. who's trolling for men. I can get anybody I want. Right. No, she is stepping out on her husband. Right. Um, uh, she's that talking she's, to on the phone during the beginning of the during sexual encounter. During the beginning encounter. of the encounter. She's a so Even up through this point, I mm. was still going, no, this kid's plan is literally to go to mm. New York and be a gigolo. Like, right. that's his plan? Yeah. That is the plot of this movie. He is going to New York mm. to become somebody's sugar baby and just get it on with old ladies and get paid for it. That is his whole jam. Which should make this movie absolutely terrible, and it super does it. <laughs> and yeah, you'd think it would, but... Because I was like, oh, I'm going to hate all of these people. And you end up kind of falling in love with them. You want... Or... or in the I very just want to take care of them. I think that's yeah, right. At the very least, you want to reach out to them in some way, because the film really is about loneliness and yeah. what people do when they have no resources. But again, going back yeah. to the story... He wound up meet, meeting uh, Dustin Hoffman, who's playing a character named Enrico Salvatore Rizzo. But who, everybody calls him Razzo. Razzo. And he's a street con man who is uh, apparently suffering from uh, polio. Yes. The after effects of polio. He, all we know at first is he has a limp. And, and over the course of the film, he catches pneumonia, which is another point, who immediately scams him while listening to his... Uh, Joe Buck's complaint about being scammed by this middle-aged woman. Yes. Then he immediately scams him by... Uh, scams him. He says, give me $20, right. I'll introduce you to a good gigolo, or a good, basically a good pimp, right. who will get you work. And so he gives him 20 bucks. He he buys him dinner and gives him 20 bucks, I think. And then he goes and meets this gentleman who, it turns out, is like a religious fanatic. Right. So Joe has to run away and escape from there. And then he... Then we just see him not getting quote-unquote work for an extended period of time. He doesn't run into Razzo for a while longer. Right. Um, but we see him, and he ends up being, he's staying in like a pay-as-you-go motel, right. and he ends up getting locked out because he can't pay anymore because he has given all of his money to other people and has made no money. Right. So he, he only has the clothes on his back at that point. They keep all of his belongings. And he's basically a homeless in New York at that point. And so, in out of desperation, he out of desperation he decides that he has to make a living. So he Bob Balaban, is it very is that much, the first one? Yes. Okay. Looking very much like Rick Moranis. <laughs> he does look a little bit like. Rick. He uh, allows him to perform oral sex on him in a movie theater. He, Joe this, Joe allows right. Bob Bal- Balaban's character to. 
uh, yeah, go down on him in a theater. And that scene, you get to, and he's really repulsed by this at the same time. And you, it's not explicit in any way. Again, no, you you see his face. You, the X rating that you're going to see is not because you're watching a, a piece of pornography, um, although it's fairly sexually explicit. In other it ways. is, although um, not with the gay no, sex scenes, uh, which there are two. I believe so. Yeah, kind of, kind mm. of. So he uh, he's doing this, and while he's while this is going on, he's trying to distance himself. Yeah, by he's remembering thinking of England. His, well, uh, he's his thinking, old girlfriend. Yeah. Um, who is something, somebody that we'll go into later. Annie? Annie. Um, yeah, we see um, him thinking about... And, and on the way out of town, he mm-hmm. passed a water uh, tower that mm-hmm. said, Crazy Annie Loves Joe Buck. Right. It had it painted on it, in, where you could see it from the bus. Um, and you see her sort of running through fields, and you see him and her engaged in activities. Right. Um, and those are fairly explicit scenes. You see, she's, you see her topless, I think. But you actually see two characters. I mean, you didn't see love scenes like that in films at this time. Oh, okay. This see, was a new thing. I think uh, The Pawnbroker, the, the film that was released maybe a couple of years earlier with Rod Steiger, was the first time you saw a topless woman in a mainstream movie. Oh, okay. So this was something fairly new. What I find odd is that the actress who's playing Crazy Annie, I believe, is Jennifer Salt. And Any relation uh, to the writer of this she's film? She's the daughter of the writer of the film. Interesting. And Jennifer Salt was a mostly stage and film actress to all the people who grew up in the 70s You might rem- who liked horror movies. You might remember her in the film Gargoyles, where she was also very proud of her figure because she's essentially goes through that entire film dressed in what looks like a bikini top and a skirt, and that's her costume in the entire movie. Mm. So um, okay, there might have been a stre- threat of exhibitionism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so... So he's letting this dude go down on him because he's desperate for money. And then he finds out that he doesn't have any money. Right. And he beats him. No, he doesn't quite. He roughs him up and wants to steal his watch. But the kid says, if I go home without my watch, my mom will get really angry. And so he can't. That's right, because he's like, he's probably 17. Right. Like, he's a young kid. He's a young, terrified gay kid who doesn't know what he's doing. Right, but so he winds up, um, he meets Rizzo again. He sees Rizzo again the next day. Now, he's had fantasies at this point about strangling Rizzo. Yes, and he's chasing it. He, and, and those fantasies are intertwined with memory, so it's mm-hmm. unclear yes. what's fantasy and what's reality. But he hasn't seen him in real right. life. And then he sees him the next day, and Ratso says, well, come to my house, come to my place. And by my house... He is staying at a in a condemned building right. with no power. Uh, there's running water, but there's no heat, um, which uh, Rizzo says is fine because he's going to be in Florida by the time it's winter. Which is when we're introduced to the idea that Florida is going to be the sort of destination they're heading for. This is their dream now. Because eventually Joe Buck starts taking the idea of Florida because Rizzo has appealed to him saying, there's lots of rich widows there. Yeah. And... The weather's better. The weather's not, better. You have to do a New York winter. Yeah. So they become sort of hustling buddies. Mm-hmm. Now these are, and this is the point in the movie where I'm like, at any point, right. one of these dudes could get a job. Right. Like an actual legit job. And at one point, Joe Buck sees a dishwasher and he sees, basically he sees himself. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, no, I can't yeah, do it. Yeah, guy who looks like him. And that was a, a good choice in casting too, mm-hmm. to see somebody who looked like him. He doesn't want to go back to what he is. He makes friends with Rizzo. Uh, they wind up 
and this is where a lot of the sort of homophobia comes in. They're terrified the other person, you know, is a queer who wants to sleep with them while you are. And they go back and forth with a lot of that conversation. Yes, and, and this comes from two places, right? Um, so on Joe's behalf, this comes because we find out through mm-hmm. the series of flashbacks that he and Annie at one point were attacked by a gang of hooligans. It's unclear um, who these guys are, but they... It's a it's a group of at least five or six right. men at this point. I mean, they're boys, but they're they're men, and they um, find them out in the field. I think they were maybe on a date, right? Um, and they end up holding both of them down and raping both of them. Right. So Joe Buck has been raped by this group of young men, and so now he's really uncertain about his own sexuality. Yeah. What does that mean about him and? At that point, we find out that Annie went crazy right, at that point. That's a terrible way to say it. Yes, yeah, she was committed. Um, you see her in a straitjacket. Right. Um, and she's repeating, Joe's the only one, Joe's the only right. one. So it was unclear to me whether she was accusing him right. or trying to block out what had happened right. by sort of going, no, it was, I, I was just likely. with this one person. It, I wasn't violated by all of these other people. Mm-hmm. So that's where Joe's sort of real homophobia comes from. And with Rizzo, it seems like there's two things that you learn about him during this period. First of all, his aversion to work comes from the fact that his father was a shoe shiner. Yes. And um, he came over hunched and covered in black all right. every every night. Right, and he exactly. never got anywhere. So he rejects that sort of idea of working it. And again, there could be a better job, but with his physical illness, he might not be able to do yeah. it. And so if anyone of this... This fair, is life before the Americans with Disability Act. Right. There was no... Um, no one was watching out for it. Yeah, yeah, and there's no uh, you know, exceptions going to be made and uh, help going to be offered at this point. It was, if right. you can't do the job... You're you're not hired, period. Or. So those two, and so they wind up becoming this unlikely pair. They bicker a lot. They fight a lot. Well, his other, the other thing about uh, Rizzo is, it becomes pretty clear that he's probably never been in right, an intimate exactly. relationship with anyone, right? Due to his own frailty and illness, and also the hatred he has for his physical body, right? Exactly. And his discomfort with it keeping him from allowing anybody to be physical or intimate with him, be it man or woman. It's He uses the F word liberally, so we think that he would be into women if he was mm-hmm. into anybody, but there's a party scene and women are touching him and he does not well, want to be Also, Joe Buck confronts him with that and says, I bet you've never been with anybody. And you can see that it's, it's, yeah, it's not true. true. Yeah. They're not very successful at what they do. Yeah, and by not very successful, mm. they're utter failures. At but it. at one point, near the end of the film now, this very unusual couple. Yeah, the, the two are sitting at a diner, mm-hmm. maybe eating leftovers off people's right. plates that have already paid and left. And they wander in and they hand uh, Joe they, Buck. They take his picture. Right, a flyer to what is meant to be one of the factory parties that Andy Warhol used to throw back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the actors in the background were actual factory yeah. members. Yeah. And so there's the scene that Ugh. broke your heart. <laughs> it was the hardest thing to see. So Joe is like, well, I'm going to go. And, and Rizzo is like, you know, they don't, 
They don't even really want you, or they don't want us. Mm -hmm. What do they want with two weirdos like us? And Joe gets mad, and he's like, they didn't even invite you. And then Rizzo is, like, visibly upset. Mm -hmm. And by then, they only have each other, Mm -hmm. and they really have grown to care about each other a lot. We find that Joe is best in a caretaking role. Mm. In the flashbacks, we see that he took care of his grandmother, right. uh, who he was left with to be raised by. It's in not a, a good choice. An unwholesome way. Well, we'll get into that too at the at the end here. And he uh, is like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm not gonna. I'll tell them. I won't go without my friend. And then Rizzo just looks at him and just says, "I ain't dressed for a party." And it is heartbreaking. It is one of the most heartbreaking live right. readings I've ever seen, where he, you could just see all of this longing, like, mm-hmm. I want this, and I am not right. in any way prepared for it. You know, they're, they've been wearing the same clothes for months. Right. You know, you see at one point, Joe Buck is using perfume, just pouring perfume in his boots. And swilling it around a little and bit. And swilling it around, yeah. So, I mean, these dudes are, I mean, they're homeless right. on the streets of New York. He sort of fixes them up. He cleans them up the best he can. There's a point, and, and he, at this point, Lizzo can't really walk by himself. He basically is sort of drag carried yeah. around by Joe. Now, also, John Boyd is a six foot four, six foot five. I don't know how tall. He's very tall large, okay. uh, man. And, you know, Dustin Hoffman is not. He's got to be a f- at least a foot shorter uh, than him. So, he, but Joe is really sort of carrying Rizzo around with him at this point. And Rizzo is clearly feverish and ha- and is for like the second half of the movie. He's constantly sweaty. He's got a cough. He shakes all the time. He's getting weaker and weaker. What's up? Just so that you know. Yeah. John Boyd is six foot two. Six two. Really? Yeah. I saw him once at a well, again, he's once like, on in uh, Easter brunch at Easter brunch in Studio City. I he was there with people and I, we were like, that's John Boyd. Leave him alone. He's having brunch. He's six foot two. Okay. Dustin Hoffman is five foot six. Okay. So he's. So it's not. But it's, it's a significant difference. It is a significant difference. It it's played up though. Also, he's wearing boots. He's wearing boots, which right, have a heel so, on them. Yeah, yeah. So he's just a yeah giant man and a very small. Man. A small man. Yeah. And so, but he sort of cleans him up. He's like licking his hand and like brushing down. Rizzo's hair right. to sort of make it look more presentable. Like, it's a very tender scene between two men who could not be basically shouting, no homo, no homo, no homo, right. any more than they do in, uh, at other times. But at this point, they just, they need each other and they're very tender towards each other. And they go to this party. Joe does something, drugs. He does drugs. I don't know what drugs are involved. And so does Rizzo. Rizzo uh, basically snakes out the the food bar and just starts cramming salami in his pants. And people are like, the food's free. You don't have to steal it. And he's like, yeah, it looks like there's a, it's almost out. You should probably get some more. I'm stealing it because I don't have anything. And then he's on a couch at one point and people are like petting him, Rizzo. And mm-hmm. he's just like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. He doesn't want anyone. Right. To touch him at all, um, except Joe, who he allows to sort of carry him around. Right, exactly. Um, and then Joe 
ends up hooking up with a woman who agrees to pay mm-hmm. for the for his company. On kind of a whim. And yes. it's Brenda Vaccaro, who is a very funny actress. I liked um, her a lot. I liked her character a lot. And she's only in, you know, two right. scenes or something. And, and she plays it very mod. And also what I like about the which is a dated term too, half the people would understand mm. that. But she also looks there's a lot of good humor to her character too. Yes. She's very smart. She is very smart and she's and, also very patient. Mm-hmm. So she pays the twenty dollars. Right. Plus an extra, I think, one to Rizzo to go away right. or like to leave them being. Cab away. fare. It was like two his, bucks. His or cab, yeah. Right. His cab, his, yeah. Um, you pay me to go away or else I just stay with you. And they go back to his house or to her place and he is unable to perform. It pisses him off. There are more flashbacks. I think right. that's when you clearly find out what happened to him. I right. think those are the strongest flashbacks of Annie. Because taken him. away. She teases him that he might be gay when he can't perform. Yep. They wind up playing scribbage. Yes. Which, I don't know what that is. Um, it looks like it, it's um, dice with letters on it. Right. And you're trying to make words. So it's like Scrabble. Or Boggle. Dice. Or something like that. Um, um, and he, he spells money, M-O-N-Y. Right. And she's like, you've forgotten... The E, there's an E in it. And he's like, no, M-O-N-Y, that's how they spell it on that big building, which is Mutual mutual of New York, Mutual uh-huh. something of New York, and it is in neon from his uh, the hotel. room that he stays the at. The hotel that he stayed at earlier. It just says M-O-N-Y in neon. And she's just sort of, um, she laughs at him a little, but not in a mean way, right. but kind of understands, oh, he's he doesn't, he has his learning is very impaired. He probably right. has a learning disability, but it's also clear from the flashbacks that he was not raised. He, no, he yeah he he kind was of, treated right. like a friend and maybe more by his grandmother. And we'll go into that. Too. Yeah, we well, that. we can go into it now. I mean, yeah. in the flashbacks. Well, in the flashbacks, what you get the understanding is very early on. You see him, I guess, rubbing his grandmother's temples. He's left behind by his. His mom, mom and another woman. I don't abandoned know. him yeah. there. And he is frequently... When he was maybe four? Four or five, I would guess. Yeah. And in the other flashbacks, you see that he is present There's, when grandma is entertaining male company at one scene. Like in the bed. Right. He's, she's watching TV in bed. There's a shirtless man next to her, and he's sitting in the bed between them watching yeah. TV with him. watching TV. So, so he was exposed to things that children right. probably shouldn't be exposed to. He goes to. away into the army, possibly after the rape. That's what it seems like. And then he comes back home and the house is just abandoned and grandma's dead. Yeah, and, and so nobody told him. The only he approval know. he's received are from these older women. Yes. And Brenda Vaccaro is not that. She is playing a young woman who... She's probably middle-aged. She's probably in her 30s. Yeah, but not the older woman. That no, she's not the approval. sugar mama that he's She's also for. not falling into his mythology. And she's, to be perfectly frank, a tiger in the sack when they actually consummate yeah, this. Yeah, they she's... end up... It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> weird scene because they right. are like biting and is a... smacking each right. other. But she really is very sexually aggressive. And so this knocks a lot... This knocks him. For a loop. Yeah. Because he sees women in a completely different way, and he even comments on it later to Rizzo that, she, God, she turned out to be kind yeah. of wild. But then the next morning she mm. says, I know other women well, that she, you would be great for. And she's making a phone call. Yeah. And she's arranging the kind of life that he came to New York for. It seems like. Right. But at the same time, Rizzo is in such a sharp decline. And it's winter. 
Yeah. Like you see in their in the place where they're staying, A, across the street, uh-huh. the the crews are taking the building down and the building they're in is next. Right. So their time there is limited anyways. And then you just see, you know, on the tap, the Icicle. water is just <laughs> right. frozen into icicles. There's no heat and obviously Wizzo's getting sicker and sicker and right. sicker. So his last ditch effort is that he needs to get money to get them on a bus to Florida. Yeah. And he picks up a man at an amusement arcade. And that is the most uncomfortable scene in the entire movie because he desperately needs the money. Yes. And he And the man has represented that he will get the money. Right. And when and this this scene's uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. Bernard Hughes is playing a self loathing homosexual. Yes. An extremely self-loathing homosexual. This is a man who's probably... Is he married or does he live with his mom still? He calls still? his mom. He calls his mom. And, and, this but, is, and he's like a 40-year-old man. Right, or older. And he's Bernard Hughes was always playing an old man as long as I could remember him as it's a kid. It's because he's a bald. Right. So you can start playing old younger and continue and, playing old forever. And the, the whole gist of that scene is that Bernard Hughes attempts to pay him with a religious medallion. Yes. And goes on about and how... And apologizes. He stops them before mm-hmm. they do anything. Right. Because he can't bring himself to do the thing that he wants to do. Right. And he stops him and says, but I'll pay you with this, yes, this religious medallion. And so what winds up happening is that Buck beats the daylights out of him and does something really horrible which happens off screen involving literally stuffing a phone in his mouth. So if that kind of... Yeah. It is, it's not... It's not played. It's not played stage like stage violence. It looks no. really horrible. Yeah, it does. And then and he steals the right. money that's in his wallet, which and is he, a significant right. amount of money. It seems like enough to get two tickets to right. Miami. And this is this is the only the second time that you see that he has some sort of encounter with another man. And the first one is foreshadowing the second. Yes, the first one where the young man doesn't have anything to give him, but this time. He's so backed against into a corner that he won't take it, and it becomes him unleashing his it's rage. It's not even on this he won't. I, he can't. Right. This is his last hope. Right. And he wants to save his friend. Yeah. It's not just for him at this point. It's, it's also for Rizzo. Um, and so he gets them bus tickets, and they get on the bus. And at one stop on the way to Miami, he ends. Oh, because Rizzo uh, ends up urinating on himself. Right. And he doesn't make fun of him for it. He just says, well, you just made a rest stop, an unscheduled rest right. stop. That's all. And he tries to make Rizzo feel you know, better about it. He gets his clothing size and he gets off the bus at a stop and buys new clothes. And you just see him stuffing the jacket and the boots that he's been wearing this whole time while he was trying to live this life into a garbage can. At this point, I was like kind of hopeful for them. I was like, yes, they're going to get away. One of them might get... And, and he gets on the bus with, you know, wearing like a pink button-down shirt and mm-hmm. just regular pants. Like, he looks way more comfortable. He doesn't look like he's dr- playing dress-up anymore. Right. And, um, you know, he, he changes Rizzo into, you know, a really, like, loud, like, Hawaiian shirt, which is exactly what Rizzo <laughs> like wants to be in, right? And he's like... You know, I think when we get down there, I'm going to get, like, a real job. An outdoor and, job. Yeah, an outdoor job. Something right. that he can do. I don't know. Well, get on a road crew or something. Right. You know, he's a strong dude. He's a big guy. Right. He's physically capable, and he's going to take care of Rizzo. And he's like, and he, and he just leans over, and he's like, does not sound like a good plan. I'm going to cry. 
<laughs> and Rizzo is, he's dead um, in the bus seat next to him as they're pulling into Miami. Like, right. they... He got there. The bus stop, the uh-huh. bus driver, like, is announcing that they're getting into Miami. It's another 20 minutes or whatever. And he's dead. And he he gets the bus driver and the bus driver comes back and he's like, well, there's, no, you know, there's, no, right. you want to close his eyes. Yeah. And so he closes his eyes and he says, well, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to keep going. Right. Um, and then he's telling everybody else, nothing to see here, just a little illness. Right. And then the bus continues to drive. And mm-hmm. then credits. That's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. Our hero is sitting next to his dead best friend and right. driving into Miami with no plan. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got a plan, but without somebody to take care of, I don't know that Joe is going to survive the in this world. I think more hopeful because I believe that he's... He made a conscious decision to leave this behind him now. He's done it. You know, he's done that sort of... He, he's also seen what it really is. Right. And I think that it's hard to dislike him because... He's so bad at it. He, but he was conditioned to believe that this is the way yeah. that he's going to live. Now, there's some... It's based on a book. Yes. And part of what... Um, and so I, doing a little bit of research found that the book is different in this respect. Crazy Annie was the town nympho in the book. Well, that's a terrible phrase. I know. <laughs> that's the way it's phrased in the so book. So is it that she... Okay. But she falls... Well, just to explain how it differs in yeah. the film. Yeah, do tell me in, how that matters one way in, or the other. In the film, which is... There's a hint of that in the film when they um, say... What was the, the horrible way that they uh, described her to him? It's like, you better double bag it if you're going to be with... Annie. With Crazy Annie, yeah. Right, because Crazy Annie essentially has a mental health condition. And she was called Crazy Annie before they right, before. Um, assaulted her and caused right. her to be... So what happens is that she was... This was an issue that she had. She slept with a lot of the young guys in the town, but she genuinely falls in love with Joe Buck. Right. And then when when uh, the father finds out there's some sort of relationship going on and her daughter reputation, he commits her. This is the book now. Okay, so... Now... What happens is that later on in the story, Joe Buck is raped by uh, two men uh, in a bordello who, are, who basically, he's with a young woman. They, uh, he finds out these two men are watching him. They've paid to watch him. Okay. He tries to fend them off. And is this when he's in New York and no, it's already is, working uh, for a, money? In or? Texas. Okay. Uh, and they, he, they, he finds out they're watching him. He fights them off, but there's two of them. They're stronger than him, and they pin him down, and they rape him yeah. as a result. Then he goes to New York. So that's the, the how it works in the book. Okay. So, but he does have the same rape. Yeah, he background. still has the same sexual trauma. It's a similar trauma. sexual it's trauma. It's different in this one because they kind of put the two incidents yeah. together, which I think makes sense in a movie. Right. I think, especially because all of that is told in these very surreal and dreamlike flashbacks right. where you can't alternate quite between tell. black and white in color. They mm-hmm. alternate even it looks like it film feels stock. extremely modern. Right. It doesn't feel like. The whole time I was watching this movie, it didn't feel... People, listeners, sometimes when I'm going to watch an older movie, I have to, like, prep myself because I know the pacing is going to be much slower than pacing is now. There will be long stretches where nobody says or does much. We're looking at stuff, which is fine, Mm -hmm. but I often have a two-screen experience going on, so I lose interest in a Mm -hmm. thing. So I have to be in a certain mindset to watch an quote unquote older and this film. Is something that but Amy, this one right. feels modern. It first of all, the runtime is it felt short to me. 
It's 113 minutes. Right. So I guess it is actually pretty long. But I was legitimately surprised when it ended. I thought that there was going to be probably 20 minutes more. And it just yeah. stopped. And I was like, <laughs> what? You, what? The 70s were a very experimental period. We're going to be going over some of those films because we've agreed this is going to be stuff in your lifetime, right? Or in my lifetime. In your lifetime. I was born in um, 1980, so I, I was not. That's why I missed this movie. But the 70s were. Because I was not born. A really bold. Um, the end of the 60s and the early 70s were a really bold time for movies because they were breaking out of what had been under the studio system and a lot of self-monitoring. But I know that with you, as we've discussed before, there are some directors like Orson Welles, for instance, who are modern enough and innovative enough to yeah. where you can still watch them and go, okay, I'm not dragged into this sort of... Yes, yeah, Citizen Kane, interesting. Casablanca, I get right. bored. Or like, Alfred Hitchcock is another how, one from that yes. period. But were, this particular movie, mm-hmm. really, the pace was, um, it, it didn't lag. Stuff, mm-hmm. Something was always happening. And they had these interesting flashbacks with these really interesting visuals. And and, and, is, and you're sort of trying to figure out what's real right. and what's fantasy. And how much does the fantasy feed into back into the reality. And we get that from... There's one scene that's from Rizzo's point of view, one yes. of his fantasies. He has a fantasy where he, and he part of it is they're running on the on the beach and right. he's just he like run full tilts, just tears down the beach and beats Joe at a race, right. which is of course a thing that his physical body right. is incapable and of doing. He also is the center of attention. He's cooking for a whole group of people, and they're all wrapped at watching his because one of the criticisms that Joe gives him is that he doesn't know how to cook. Yeah. Oh, when they're, they're uh, eating in the... Like, what kind of Italian are you? You don't right. know how to cook. I mean, it's that kind of a thing. Right. And he makes a comment at one point in the film that, you know, all the nutrients you need to be healthy are in coconut milk. And I don't know if that's actually true or if that's just all he can manage to steal because he's stealing right. coconuts from this... Um... Plus, coconuts sort of are the embodiment of his dream to live in Miami right. where there are coconut trees everywhere, everywhere and they just fall from the sky. Coconuts, free coconuts, <laughs> fall from the sky. I don't think that's accurate, but... But yeah, yeah, so this film is, it's, in many ways, it's similar to something like Of Mice and Men. Yes. Uh, but almost in the reverse. It's yeah, the, the big... like a tragic buddy comedy, right. or a tragic buddy movie, not a comedy, right? No, no, no. A all buddy the, tragedy. There are very funny moments in this film, and there are some horrifying moments, and not just hor- not horrifying in the sense that it's like a horror film, no, it's the conditions and deprivations they're facing. Yeah. And it's like legit. It's real. Like yeah. this is how people live, and it's right. terrible. It's terrible to see. It, the performances are amazing in this film. Yeah, and I know Dustin Hoffman's going through these these allegations now, which I wasn't. I'm, I'm still not clear on what they are exactly, right. and I'm not discounting them in any way. And I have seen him do some terrible thing, like terrible acting. Right. Oh, he was it in Perfume. Perfume, where oh, he just where plays just a stage plays Italian. <laughs> Manja, manja, Italiana. Right. I mean, it is, it's racist. Right. <laughs> it's a racist caricature of an Italian person. And and it's interesting because I, of course, the first time I really knew who Dustin Hoffman was, uh-huh. it was Rain Man. Right. I could hear the Raymond character. Or right. no, Raymond was the old, the brother. I, I, I barely think. remember. I could Rain hear Man. his character. I could hear the Rain Man character in the Rizzo character mm-hmm. because it is a... He's doing this an affected voice, like uh-huh. a significantly affected voice. 
Um, but it really works. And yeah, like I said, some of the line readings are just... Oh no, he's... An, um, I, I have this problem sometimes with these older actors because they grew up in a generation that allowed them to get away with things. Mm-hmm. When he's doing, um, when he's doing uh, The Graduate, which is his big breakout part, right. he very notoriously during a screen test reaches over and grabs Catherine Ross's ass to get her to lighten up. What? Your hands and in to your her pockets. Credit, she read him a riot act, and he good. did a similar thing to Anne Bancroft in the same film, and she smacked him. Yeah, um, but he, he strikes me as a person whose slime on screen might not be a hundred percent acting; right. like he might be a sleazy motherfucker. I, I don't know how how to judge that. It's, it's wrong anytime Which you do it. Which kind of makes me go, oh, in these tender moments, like that's true real acting because he's mm-hmm. not. But I don't know. It might be that he just, again, was in a period of time where people were allowed to get away with that, so he did it. And that becomes a conscious choice. Do you go along with what everyone else is doing, or do you make your decision to be a different, independent kind of person? And I've got to think that being a shorter man in Uh Hollywood probably led him to have some... to try and skew power dynamics. Right. And if he couldn't do that with men, he could certainly do it with women. Uh, I'm not excusing anything no, no, of course not. Uh, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I'm wondering if that had something to do with the the cultivation of these behaviors. Right. Uh, let's talk about the rating. So this yeah, movie yeah. is rated X, and that's not a rating that exists anymore. Uh, as I said, this would probably... It was sort of a, a it, hype it, rating anyhow. It, it, well, that's true. So it originally got an R rating, and then a psychologist was consulted. I bet that cost a pretty penny. I'm just saying. And uh, UA executives were told that an X rating was um, appropriate due to the, quote, homosexual frame of reference and its, quote, possible influence on youngsters. So that's literally a gays are coming for your family don't let your kids watch this movie because they might turn gay. Is that what? Am I reading that correctly? You're reading that correctly because. And this is a time when a homosexuality was still in the uh, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Psychiatric Diseases. The, the odd thing is that neither of the two main characters are homosexual. They are not. And there the, is. There's. I want to say, quote, gay rape. I don't know that that's well, a thing. There is a rape of a men, a mm, man by men. Right. Um, there is... Which yeah, is an odd... Uh, it's, which is still a power thing, because I bet all of those mm, dudes were, quote, unquote, straight. straight. I, I think that there's a... It's odd how when a taboo gets broken, it gets really broken, and then suddenly the floodgates open, you're able to talk about it. Right. This... Well, and an understanding, like, right. oh, being gay is not a disease. Yeah, but it's when this just happened, then a you had different thing. Deliverance, which had a similar gay rape theme, and so, so you were seeing this now in movies. Yeah, there was a, the Australian film of whose name I forget, where um, the main character is raped in a prison, and then you had Midnight Cowboy, which is about prison rape, which was really unusual because the actual memoir. Actually, it's not Midnight Cowboy. Um, Midnight Express. Midnight Express. Because I'm like, no. Uh, where I mean, the uh, main character is raped by a prison guard. And this was... Com- That's a different kind of prison rape. Right. But 
that in that the, the story is based on a memoir where there was the man was never raped by his prison guard. And Oliver Stone, the screenwriter, just added this in to stoke public outrage and be oh, controversial. Oh, good. Um, but no, at the time it was really because there's an interview, 1971, for Playboy. John Wayne uh, told the interviewer that he considered this film perverted. And you'll excuse me because this is an exact quote. You can cut this later if you want to. Uh, wouldn't it say the wonderful love of those two men in that cowboy, a story about two fags, qualifies? Oof. That was John Wayne. There's a couple of things going on there. First of all, he was angry because they co-opted the cowboy image. or Right. And as, he is, I mean, we would classify him as toxic masculinity right. incarnate. John Wayne was. Yeah, and that's the, the part that he was always playing. And he was very himself. Not just the part he was mm. playing. It's also well, who he there's was. There's an interesting story that Kirk Douglas told. That he was at a party with John Wayne. And this is when Kirk Douglas had just signed on to do Lust for Life. What is that? Lust Beyond Life being on Iggy Pop song. A biography of... Um, you can do it. Who is it? Vincent Van Gogh. Okay. So uh, uh, the property was bought by John Hausman. You know, okay. And they were going to produce a film of it. And Kirk Douglas worked very hard to play Vincent van Gogh. He starved himself. He went from the physical specimen that he was up until his 80s. Uh, he worked very hard to starve himself and to physically change himself to be Vincent van Gogh. And he was at a party and he said, John Wayne pulled him aside and said, what are you doing? You can't play that kind of part. People think you're fruity. And so there was that, the same kind of homophobia that you see yeah. in the film was a part of, well, when we're playing tough guys. We can't do a part like that. It's so interesting to me that Rock Hudson, uh-huh. a man who was gay mm-hmm. and, and hit it forever, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. would play some parts right. that other people would deem fruity and was never outed for. Like, There's what a, is... If you watch the Doris Day musicals, that he, uh, musicals, excuse me, comedies. The comedies, movie, yeah. There are constant jokes about his sexuality. I know. Open jokes. Um, what is happening? There's a scene in one There's of There's this weird, these right. weird... It's like if women love you enough, it doesn't matter how right. quote-unquote gay you present. Mm-hmm. Liberace, right. for instance... Yeah, no, it's... And it seems ridiculous in this day and age that there are interviews thing. where people have to ask Liberace if he's gay. And, and he that. would say no. And, or he would say, what was the one that I saw when I was a kid? I support all kinds of rights, including gay rights. And that was as far as he was willing to go wow. at one point. Yeah. Well, um, I, there are still people in the spotlight now who are about there with their sexuality. Right. Kevin Spacey was there with his yeah. sexuality all the way up until he was accused of some shit. <sighs> Which well, is not a person we don't need to talk about. But, I mean, in John Wayne's case, he seemed to genuinely be upset by the idea that this, co- you know, co- co-opted the cowboy image. The cowboy image, interesting. That Which is somebody... so funny because the the cowboy that he is playing is such a howdy doody caricature. Right. There's nothing cowboy. You put a horse in front of that man, and he is going well, to run screaming. Well, he says that several times in the film. I'm not a real cowboy. Not a real cowboy. Because um, as if they're expecting him to get into a gunfight or something, but which is not going to happen in no. New York. But in New York, he can present as cowboy, whereas in Texas, he's a dishwasher. Yeah. And I think that's another thing. He's playing into this sort of fantasy image. There's a scene in the film where he meets another, or he sees in passing another Dude hustler. Dude dressed like a cowboy. Dressed like a cowboy. Yeah. And this is looks why, like a more realistic cowboy too. He's right. wearing like a black button down and jeans right. and a black like he doesn't have all the quote unquote bells and whistles right. like the 
the costuming is right. a little more toned down. And I'm like, that motherfucker probably makes money. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably a good... Because here's what Joe Buck is not. A hustler. Right. This... He's so guileless uh-huh. as to be totally useless in that world. World. He he doesn't... Now, Rizzo is a genuine hustler. He does not successful he in that he can because you think he doesn't work but, for a living. But the so problem with Rizzo is he presents as mm-hmm. sick and, quote, weak. Right. Which puts a dent in that hustle ability. And his hatred of homosexuals also plays into this ongoing and we have we have this person in two scenes that he interacts with at the bar. Is it a transgender person? I, I couldn't make out what they were aiming for to be It was it, it 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 was clearly like someone was who would be to, designated right. as queer right. now. Maybe a gender non binary, maybe a trans person. Uh-huh. It's unclear. They're definitely not a quote unquote straight Right. Person, I couldn't even tell you what the. But he makes that accusation all the time because he also accuses the two people who drop off the flyer for the party of being, of being queer, yeah. and he accuses them of being brother and sister. And yeah, just he has no idea how this works. No, well, no, because his interaction with other people is basically zero. Right. So it's any kind of relationship point. is outside and, of his purview. And he's not successful in that. I say that he's living well off of this. He's surviving somehow. But he he's been. the kind of guy who is sm- so small time, he you know raids phone booths for change. Yes. Yeah, he's getting any nickel he can right. because that's the only way that he knows how to survive. Right. Um, they break it. into a shoeshine mm-hmm. box at one point right. because they're trying to make Joe look better, presentable. presentable. And then a cop sits down, and so he has to shine the cop shoes too. Right. And you just see this like self-loathing right. and fear because if he gets busted, yeah, he literally just broke into this dude, this dude's shoe shine thing. He is breaking the law, but he just does it and spit spit polishes spit po- it, <laughs> which is like a weird thing. I don't know if that was ever anything. Um, a lot of people know the I'm walking here line. Mm-hmm. So apparently they were doing that. They'd done that scene many, many times. Uh-huh. That was not a scene, a, a line in the movie. But as they're filming the 30th time or whatever, right. this cab comes out of nowhere and almost hits him. And he almost yelled, we're filming a movie here. Right. But it would have broken the take, right? Yeah. And so he comes up with I'm walking here and that is the take that they ended up using. He's, I think that, like I said, I... I, I Oh, the last thing on the rating uh-huh. thing. Uh, apparently, the MMPA um, later broadened the requirements of the R rating to allow, uh, uh, allow for more content and raised the age restriction from 16 to 17. That's when. And now the film was rated R in 1971 for a re release and holds on to its R rating. So it's no longer X rated. And nothing is X rated now. There's triple X, but. Well, we all know what that is, and there's no uh, X rating. Now it'd, it'd be uh, no, I think no rating. Uh, it's NC seventeen. It's um yeah, and NC ten. Well, there's NC seventeen, and there's not rated. You can, um, as a filmmaker, you can decline the MMPA or M. Was it MMPA? Doesn't or MPAA does mm-hmm. isn't like they're not the feds. They're right. just they're it's a self imposed rating, rating system. So you could say. I don't want a rating if you don't want an NC-17 rating. But most places who um, show NC-17 
or no rating won't let people under 17 into the no rating. The movie sort of declined being... Right. Well, there was... It's a... And it's all, you know, moms. It's a very fake like system. Like school board. To be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason why I say that yeah, is... Yeah, saying fuck three times doesn't make the movie more right. shocking. And I, it's a whole... That's a whole thing. A whole conversation we can have on the end. But, I mean, when I was a kid, there was... Let's see, when this film was released, there was GP, GP, PG, R. What's GP? You see it on old film posters sometimes. Oh, okay. It was, I don't know exactly what it was meant to do. Um, but now it's GP, G, PG-13, which, which was... Which is added in the 80s. Which was entirely invented so that Steven Spielberg could release films, two films in particular, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and... Um, what was the other one? Was it E.T.? No. No, no. It was the film about the creatures who take over the small town. Gremlins? Yes. <laughs> it Gremlins. was Gremlins. That was a guess. But it was the the fact that when Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, which should have been an R-rated film. Yeah, they monkey brains of, out of the monkey's Monkey brains? Head. He would sacrifice people's hearts are torn the out. The bugs? Turn, yes, the heart scene. Mm. That scene. And there were longer scenes of people, you know. At one but point. he wanted kids to be, teens right. to be able to go to the movies. And so he, what, one of the things I don't like about Steven Spielberg was, and I always run into this. This I, is a drinking game, kids. Right. <laughs> it's just the fact that he was able to get away with that. It's like make up your own rules as you go along. Well, if it's of, a self-imposed system. Right. Somebody's else. But the fact it's always willing, somebody so making up the rules. we make a more mature movie, like Nine and a Half Weeks, or one of those films that wound up starting out with this NC-17 rating or mm-hmm. Henry and June, mm-hmm. because we're talking about sex or homosexuality or Well, sex is always rated much more stringently than violence is. Having his heart ripped mm-hmm. out and catching on fire, yep. but the idea that we're going to do an adult story about people and their sexual relationships, we can't show That's that. going to be a hard R. That is yeah. really bizarre because no. it shows what we are able to allow. Boobs aren't culture. okay, but blood is. It's right. dumb, and it's yeah. backwards, and Europe is like, what are y'all doing? To think that this movie originally had a harder rating than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. That strikes, or Night of the Living Dead. Yes, or because movies. look out for gays. <laughs> right. And there aren't even any gay, I mean, there's, there are gay but people But the gay characters it, are ancillary to this film. And they're not really the main point of the film. and, and No, but they are also treated mm-hmm. with dignity and respect. Well, they're people. Yeah. and that's, They're that's actual what, characters. They're not caricatures, Waldo I would say. Waldo Salt is a hell of a screenwriter. I was watching Futurama what, last night, uh-huh. I think, or the night before last, and there's an episode where Zap Brannigan and his alien buddy, whose name I can't remember, get ousted from their job because he blew up a space station or something. And then I just hear, I'm, I was, it was on in the background and I was doing something on my computer and then I hear the Harry Nilsson, everybody's talking song, which I think I'm going to play at the end because it's like iconic. And also I 100% thought was a Garfunkel, Simon and Garfunkel Mm -hmm. song. It's not guys. It's not. (laughs) It is a Harry Nilsson song. You're probably thinking of The Graduate, which ends with a Simon. I'm sure I was because there is that that connection of Dustin Hoffman to. uh, But also, it's it's one of those '60s '70s folk. Right. It's all about the voice and the guitar. Paul Simon, and he sounds like Paul Simon to me, anyways. 
that song starts playing and I look up and they did a whole two minute maybe mm-hmm. um, tiny squished montage of Zap Brannigan and the alien guy as Rizzo right. at doing bit, uh, like beats from this movie. Like this movie is culturally well, significant. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, what I was aware. And when I saw it uh-huh. the first time years ago, uh-huh. I was like, oh, I know this is Midnight Cowboy, but that's all I when know. When you saw the cartoon years ago. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't, when I first, the first cultural awareness of this movie came for me, watching Spitting Image. Do you remember those huge caricature puppets? Oh, yeah, creepy. Right. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. There was a television about. special. Mm-hmm. And there's a big Hollywood party, and um, one of the uh, characters is Dustin Hoffman, who's asking people, walking at this, around this Hollywood party, asking people, who's Dustin Hoffman? And they're like, you're Dustin Hoffman, the actor. It's like, who's Dustin Hoffman? Does he have an accent? And he starts doing Rizzo. Does he have a limp? Does he have a limp like this? Is this who Dustin Hoffman is? Oh, wow. And it became a running joke that he's transforming into Rizzo over the course of the party. Interesting. Trying to find who he's supposed to be, which is the same joke that Robert Downey Jr. plays in Tropic Thunder, like an actor okay, yeah. who has so little identity, he just becomes one of his characters. I'm the <laughs> dude playing the dude playing the other dude. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one that made me aware of how deep this film had sunk into the um, the groundwater was that he's a Muppet character. Yes. He's Lasso. a Muppet character. He's here for the food. Rizzo. Yes. <laughs> who talks in the same accent, who kind of walks yeah. around. He's it's... one of the best parts of a Muppet Christmas Carol. Right. He is one of the narrators, and he's like, and it's like, I don't remember who he's narrating with, but they say, I am so-and-so, and I am here to tell you a story. And then he says, I am Ratso, and I am here for the food. I was under the mistaken impression. Uh-huh. My recollection when we started this was, I was like, Ratso Rizzo, isn't that the character in Greece? Isn't mm-hmm. that Stalker Channing's character? Yeah. Isn't that Stalker Channing's character from Greece? And everybody was like, yes. <laughs> I looked it up. Uh, no. Her yeah. name is Betty Rizzo. She goes by Rizzo. Ratso Rizzo. Right. I put that on her from my knowledge of all of the other right. things. Like, but I'd never seen this movie before. I have, unfortunately, seen Greece. It's not my favorite. Um... So yeah, so deep. It's right. gotten in there. It's, it's yeah. gotten in good. It's 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 become a significant part of their culture. It was another turning point, and um, I really feel one of the films that I think you haven't seen, The Exorcist. I've not seen The Exorcist in, in its entirety. Right, the but Exorcist. there are things like The Exorcist, and which you hadn't seen until fairly recently. I hadn't seen it until fairly recently, and I suddenly realized why haven't I seen this movie? Because as a person who, who watches horror films, this was one of these big culturally significant movies. Right, not just to horror movies, but to the entire outside culture. Yeah, and um, and so when I saw it, I suddenly realized, oh my god, I've seen a dozen borrowings from that movie. Yes. And I don't know if you can say that about Midnight Cowboy. I don't think, I feel like that is one of the things mm-hmm. that I think we're going to run into as we watch these movies. Right. It'll be, oh, I've seen this, these other places. Right. Um, and then we've got to really take into mind, oh, it's not derivative here. Mm-hmm. It's derivative in the things that I've already seen. Right. This movie, I knew things from it, mm-hmm. but not because I had seen them in other media other than the right. characters' names and things like that. It, there wasn't a lot of, oh, this is a shot that has been used a bunch of other times, or this is a, a filming style that we've seen before, or anything like that. It was pretty unique, even now, 
40 blah, blah, blah years later. It's like a time capsule. The New York that existed in this film doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. Nope. It was was, uh, killed by Rudy Giuliani, I I was watching on the Bowery not too long ago, and um, the New York, the Bowery that you're seeing there now, apparently is all high-end shops, and and this was Skid Row at the time, and there's people dying in the streets. Yeah. And then you cut to now, there's no trace of this left behind. There are slums, I'm sure, still. There are still slums, but... This particular neighborhood now is transformed. Has transformed, yeah, uh, yeah. So that I think does that is that everything that you want to say about? Yeah, this movie? it is. It, it was a really good film. I'm glad that you got to see it. I I'm, thought it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's hard to say. It's. It's. I know. am very glad that I saw it, mm-hmm. and I liked it very much. Did I enjoy watching it? It was real sad, right. and it was sad on a number of levels. That was another another thing we didn't go into very much. Was his raising? I mean, we talked about right. it briefly, but yeah, this because I at first I was mad. I was like, get a job, right? Like it's not that complicated. There's work. You see help wanted signs. Right. You're an able-bodied human being. I not so much Rizzo. I understand right. that he had to do what he had to do because of his ailments. So it was frustrating to me. But then you just see he wasn't. He still was like that little kid that was dropped off with his grandmother. Right. He didn't know how oh, to there's adult. Point. The difference in the book is just that his mother's a prostitute. That and that seems like a right. logical thing. And so that she dropped him off because he was getting in the way of business. And, right. But the the kind of but then that she, that he would have even before he was with his grandmother right. probably seen other but also seen that this inappropriate thing. This is a way to make a living. True. No, and and like choices. I said, he very likely had a learning disability, mm-hmm. but he also was raised by people who yeah, weren't, that wasn't the interest. He's trying to read a comic book. He's trying to read it while he's eating, and he's just... As an adult, right, not as, as, as a child. This so, is, yeah. But I think that we can't, um, we can't have... I mean, people like Joe, like Rizzo, exist in the world. Of course. And you can't ignore their stories necessarily, and this one gives you... A real close-up work at this story of this guy going through this crisis in his character, yeah, and putting all this stuff behind him. That scene where, on a gut level, the scene where he shoves all his filthy old clothes and his old personality into this trash can. Yeah, you. It felt like he was being reborn. Right. It, like it. Like I legitimately felt like <laughs> right. it. I was exactly. like, he's gonna be okay. Okay. If you had to say mm-hmm. what he did now, what what do you think? I think he probably got an outdoor job Florida. There's so much he could do. Honestly, I uh, could see him working at like a um, like a retirement home. Right. Because I really do think that he is a caretaker. He's a caretaker. But um, one thing that would be poetic, what I would like to see in the sequel, if there was one. Please don't make a sequel, y'all. Um, trimming palm trees. Oh, Coconut yeah, there trees. you go. That Coconut would be trees. <laughs> yes. Or just having one. Right. That would be great too, but I can yeah. see him just like as the guy who does all the the, the maintenance for a big building. I, this Maybe is, at a retirement home right. though, so that he can take care of people. Because I really do think yeah. that he needs that connection. Right. I think that's what he thrives on. Right. And then eventually, I think he might actually grow into being a person who, in his late thirties, mm-hmm. is with like a sixty-five-year-old woman. No, but I who also, takes care of him. I also see though that. Part of abandoning that is putting away what he was conditioned to respond to. That's true. So the yeah, whole like don't have sex anymore for like a long time. The you whole need some therapy she has before you have socialite, sex more. You know, yeah, where she blows his mind by just being different. Yeah, I think that might have 
you know, broken I, I, him broken from him from that. So that I could because you totally could see him being, and this is sounds strange. You could totally see him being a great dad. Yeah, horsing around with kids and, when he figures out right what women actually are. Right. Because I don't think he understands what all of the types mm. of women that there are. Right, exactly. I think he ended up being exposed to a specific type of woman. Mm-hmm. His mom, his grandmother, and probably Crazy Annie, I think, are right. of a piece, of, of a, a set right. of, of, of a type of woman. And then he had this picture, which the radio was selling him, right. of, of these older women who are looking for to spend money mm-hmm. on these young men to you know, keep right. them happy while their husbands are failing them. And that's the only knowledge of women that he has. Yeah. The, I know that if we're recommending the film to people, you'd be prepared for the amount yeah. of homophobia. There's a great deal of homophobia. Part. There's a great deal. There's some toxic masculinity in it's here. It's contextual, though. Take there's it, also scenes of rape, both mm. a, a rape of a male and mm. rape of a female. And, um, and there's... Or, right. Yeah. But I think that when... I mean, that period of time produced a lot of genuinely homophobic movies. Yeah, um, and this, but and this is the the only time I'm I've ever heard the word or you know applied the word homophobia and really felt like right. this is a fear. It is right. fear and not hate. Where well, yeah, where it's these two guys from. are like, can we trust each other? Or what do you want from me? Yeah, and I think it goes to a deeper level. Like, I don't know how to relate to another human being. That's so you not must just want another human funny. being, but this is also. I mean, how many. I, close guy friends did anybody did any right. man have in 1969 right. was that a thing could you have a friend in 1969 just a man friend well there had to be some sort of distance or some sort of the way that they male friendships were portrayed it wasn't oh, i'm just saying that's yeah. that's part of the problem is there These, are stretches than, it's, and and it's only uh, recently that Men, I mean, that's why I love you, man. Is a movie, right? right. Was it, it was it was trying to be like, no, you can have a guy friend. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You well, can enjoy spending time with another is man. Much more intimate than that. They're sleeping in the same room. He's cooking for him. Right. He's becoming this sort of surrogate wife in those terms. Um, and but so, why does it have to be? No, no I'm just. That's saying, the thing. It doesn't in those have to terms, be. Those terms, the terms that they understood. Yeah, he right. was playing a wife, and he's cooking for him and cleaning up after him and doing things. And yeah. The other guy is supposed to go out and make a living, so they, they choose to participate in this dynamic, yeah. which is why they're constantly questioning each other's sexuality, yeah. like why, are, you know. Right. And, and so it's that's also why it's about breaking that boundary, too. Oh, I just had a real terrible thought about what John Wayne might have said about Brokeback Mountain and the Cowboys not Oh, good God, no, no, no. Yeah, but, it's, but again, recommend this, this is a great film. Just go into it knowing what you're going to see. Yeah, I didn't know. Um, I didn't get any of these warnings. Right. So I'm not so. warning you about Taxi Driver. Well, we'll see. I, I'm not warning you about... Well, you know... Yeah, I'm going in anyway. to a lot of these things very blind. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to spoil things for myself, but I might look for trigger warnings or something. Yeah, there is. There's going to be trigger warnings. I understand if people don't want to watch this movie because you right. don't need to hear the F word. Right, it's well the same thing with reading conservatively forty times. Right, is it uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn or something? Yes, it's like there are some words that you don't you don't need to hear, and and I don't, don't get need it. To say anymore, yeah. frankly, but so we uh, we do understand if right, that's not so, your jam. But I so. really recommend probably seeing the film before you listen to the podcast if you do. Well, that. that's what I'm I'm going to put out a thing right. on Monday saying this is what we watched this time. Here are the warnings. Mm-hmm. 
watch along with us or just listen yeah, to us talk about alert. it. We're going to tell you everything about the movie. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Of course, the people should know. Is, this is a is, recap podcast. Right. We're going to recap. And by recap, we mean yeah. tell you the plot of it. Um, but I do want to let people know what we're watching so they can watch beforehand. Mm -hmm. But I also want to let them know this is what you should be aware of. And right. we're doing it here, too, in case you're listening first. And then you want to go watch a movie. I mean, mm -hmm. I, it's possible you've seen this movie, y'all. It's a uh, yeah, it's well, an Academy Award win winning film that came out forty seven years ago. Forty eight years ago. As you were ago. saying, very influential. Yes. And if if you're a person from your generation, or even younger, like my nephew, okay. Um, Give us an age thing. What does that mean? Thirties. Yeah. Okay. And you don't know why John Voight is John Voight, and you don't know why Dustin Hoffman is Dustin Hoffman. Yes. Yes. Is, yeah, right. Yeah. Because a lot, I, I could see people being younger than me, mm -hmm. even some people my age going, I, I don't know who these people are. Right. It's like... Yeah, John Voight might be Angelina Jolie's dad. He played her dad in uh, Tomb Raider. Right. So if you don't recognize that name, that's... But yeah, that the happened. generation of people who didn't see Coming Home, who didn't see the, the stuff I've never seen that. Yeah, when he was, and then the Graduate, uh -huh. uh, Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman. I feel like has had a longer career, uh -huh. longer in bigger things. Right. I think he's kept his sort of level up higher mm -hmm. for a longer period of time. Right. But I mean, he's done some terrible well, stuff like Perfume. But John Voight did a lot of stuff when he was younger, mm -hmm. and now. Tends to play the bad guy. Well, he's a character actor. He was a, he's doing the villain in uh, the first Mission Impossible movie. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Or I think my, one of my favorite John Voight performances is his nutty, over-the-top villain in Anaconda. He was an Anaconda. He was just wonderfully goofy comic book villain. He played. In that he movie. had a weird voice, didn't he? Yes, didn't he, he did do a like whole a weird... bizarre accent. He okay. had a prosthetic chin that made him look like his face was a hatchet. Good lord. He, you know, he just went so. Joyfully scenery cheering over the top in that movie. But, like, I mean, Dustin Hoffman, was he, did he win the Academy Award for The Graduate? Like he was uh, up, he was nominated. Mm -hmm. So, The Graduate was a huge film for him all the way up through in 1989, he won for Rain Man mm -hmm. um, and is still, you know, a going concern, apparently. The joke was that he accepted the Academy Award in character because he just sort of froze during just the Just froze headlines and became. Mm. And kind of stared at, and couldn't, stammered through his speech, but. He's one of those actors who they hit a they they could almost rest on their laurels if it was all the president's men, oh, if that's it was the big man, yeah, if it was all yeah, these, he's got a lot of big right. Well, Kramer versus Kramer, right, exactly. right, which is another one that we may be watching in upcoming. And so he's you know he can kind of rest on his laurels now, even though he does make these appearances where he still wants I heart Huckabees or whatever. But he still comes out and brings a performance and does a weird. Right, he he will do a weird. He he doesn't shy away from. Yeah, a crazy accent or right. uh, an outfit where you're just like, this is what we're doing? Okay. Um, okay, so let's yeah. call it on Midnight Cowboy. Right. Um, what are we going to watch next? Are we are we decided on The Godfather 1 yes, and 2? Yes, why don't we try The Godfather 1 and 2? Okay, so I you have seen The Godfather. I have seen most of The Godfather and some of the Godfather too. Again, you can't. So you haven't. Them. Yeah. Well, I can because right. I have seen. Well, no, no, but was nothing. A, what I was about, about to say was, you can't avoid them if you're taking screenwriting classes. Fair. Because they get quoted constantly. Constantly, and I do know uh -huh. a lot of quotes from The Godfather. So right. next week we will have watched The Godfather. Um, 
one part part one and part two. Is yeah. that what it is? Or is Godfather and Godfather part two? Uh, we're going to go ahead and skip now, the three. No, we're going to watch them. Well, you can't because that was a film that was released much, much, much later. Much later. I liked it. So we're also we're, we're continuing does. our Academy Awards streak because I believe um, 1970 went to Midnight Cowboy, uh-huh. 71 for the movies from 1970 went to The Godfather, and then two years later, The Godfather 2 won. Right. So we're going to watch them together. Right. I think it makes sense. Um, and I have seen none of them. Separately in this context, which is that we're going to watch them, Godfather 1 and 2, because there was a conflated edition. Oh, yeah. We're not going to watch the... Right. The mush that right. is one movie. We're going to watch both. And for now, do you have any recommendations of current stuff? Current stuff? Or um, stuff that you've watched currently? I just saw that I was going to recommend from the beginning of the program was a movie called Lilith um, from 1964. You are recommending it. I'm recommending it with reservations. Again, this is a film about mental illness, but uh, I was trying to describe it to you as the anti Benny and June. Okay. You know, this is about a person who, Warren Beatty, who's very, everyone's so a young. Baby. Warren Beatty, War, Peter Fonda, Gene Hackman, uh, they're all children in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think this is Gene Hackman's first part in the movie. Wow. And they're playing, uh, well, Warren Beatty's playing a kind of a young man who seems to be very sort of disturbed himself, who winds up working as an attendant in a uh, mental health hospital? Like an asylum? It's almost like a a retirement (laughs) it seems, because there's just a very large house and people are allowed to walk around. Okay. Oh, so like a like a, what's the word? Like a group home or or something. something. Yeah, and and so there's the, it's 1964, so the way they portray mental health is still not what you want it to be. There's a scene where a doctor actually says that schizophrenia is something that travels in your blood uh, and then shows us, um, <laughs> yes, that only human beings can get it, animals can't get schizophrenia. This is the same. I think that's actually right. I don't so know. So they take human blood and inject it into a spider and he makes this bizarre web. That's a scene in the film. Oof a doof. Um, which, again. If you inject human blood into a spider, you've killed the spider. Right. That's what has happened. But um, also, I'm not sure how you I'm not a it. scientist, but this I believe. A needle with the actual gauge to penetrate a spider without cutting it in the Well, head. it depends on the type of spider. Right. But um, there's some big spiders in this world. Right, but none of those make webs. Oh, that's true. So Gene Seberg is in this film. And from Breathless. From Breathless. I hated it. Where she is essentially was a very beautiful doll in yeah. Breathless. She really wasn't expressive. She really... So watching this movie and watching how she eats the screen alive in this movie. That sounds painful. Is and the brief scene that I showed you, her eyes alone were so much more active than anything. That one scene there's scenes in there that are will be very uncomfortable for anybody. But the film being nineteen sixty four could not go as far as Bennett Cowboy did. Right. But at the same time It's also it's a this is a black and white film. Black and white film for the for people who are bothered by that. <laughs> Well, not necessarily bothered, mm-hmm. but I will say that movies in black and white tend to be of a slower pace. Uh, right. Typically. Not always, um, but typically. The black and white, though, and the reason why Orson But Wells, it does look beautiful. Right. I will say that. Jean Seberg um, is amazing. And to think that this is the same actress who, before, I was like, God, she's terrible. Like, Aww, why is she just sort bad. of staring off over the... And I'm wondering if it's direction. I'm wondering if it was the fact that a lot of Breathless seemed to be improvised. Yeah, um, some actors don't right. do that. And here, when she's given the script, she just runs with it, and she outdoes everybody. She, again, think about it. She's in a movie with 
you know, Peter Fonda won Beatty and Gene Hackman, and yeah. she just and acts she is circles. Right? Right. She's amazing. Awesome. And so it's very sad that you know, this, is, this was on TCM, right? So TCM. it might be available on Filmstruck, right? Which is something I, I would recommend it just for her performance and nothing else. What am I going to recommend? No, I don't know. Hey everyone, if you haven't seen Black Panther, uh, Black you're a failure. Wakanda uh, no offense, but no. A, a little bit of offense. Wakanda Forever, go see that movie. Uh, you know what I'm going to recommend is Annihilation. I mm. thought Annihilation was very good. Uh, this is a, a movie that is currently out in theaters. Uh, it stars Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, mm. Gina Rodriguez, and a fourth woman. Oh, Jennifer Jason Lee, and a fifth woman that I can't remember the name of. Sorry, fifth Some woman. Some European. Yeah, she was one of the white ones, so I just kind of forgot who she was. That's well, one of the ones terrible. that you're not familiar with. Yes, I was. I was with. less familiar with her. There have been some uh, issues surrounding this about uh, possible whitewashing because mm-hmm. we find out in a later uh, book in one line mm-hmm. that um, the character that Natalie Portman plays is of Asian descent, a uh, mixed Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently, Alex Garland, who wrote. Uh, and directed the movie, did not read the other two movies right. in the trilogy, or books, books in the trilogy, which just from a reader perspective mm-hmm. and a maybe writer perspective, if you're going to adapt something for the f- screen, know the entire right. story before you do that. Just a tip from me to you. So I think that was a mistake on his part. Right. Natalie Portman's quite good in it. Oscar Isaac is in it. I will watch him in uh, right. uh, literally anything. Well, you will because you have no choice. He's in everything. He's <laughs> in everything. He's prolific, so you're going to watch him with He's also in podcasts. Right. He's in the Homecoming podcast. Um, so he I does. Agree. He will really do whatever you want to pay right. him to do. Um, I like Alex Garland's visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think scarier than I thought it was going to be. I wasn't right. really expected to be frightened uh, by the movie, but I was. And I like seeing a bunch of women kicking ass. Well, this is one thing that you and again, terrifying bareface. Right. Well, is yeah, it's, it's the most frightening bear since the Revenant. Um, clearly, although I think this bear could probably eat that bear. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. But what? I appreciated about the film, first of all, is the same thing that I appreciate about the female lead in The Shape of Water, in that she is a character with flaws. Yeah, they're like actual people. And she's developed, and she's a developed person with all sorts of ideas and things that she's done that she's not proud of, and Mm -hmm. you're along for part of that. Yeah. Same thing with all of the other right. characters. And they make choices, and they're... they're, um, Which probably would have been more fleshed out even if he had read the the other two books. Hey, Alex Garland, you messed up right. a little well, bit. Well, that was... But yeah, so there's, I, I appreciated the film because, again, it's a monster movie in yeah. many ways. It's also beautiful to look at. Like, right. I, like I'm saying, he, I really like his visual sense mm-hmm. and what he does in the, in the but movie. But mind you, if you are sensitive to horror movies, there are some strong horror elements to this film. There are some strong horror it's elements. It's almost, almost science fiction horror at times. There are scenes in there that really are... And it's quote unquote hard science fiction because uh-huh. it purports to be science-y. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that they're saying, science is uh-huh. not going to back up. Yes, yeah. it is fiction. Right. Well, science fiction. <laughs> it leans heavily on the fiction part of science. The Arrival, is that the film with Amy Adams? Mm-hmm. Which is really hard science hard fiction. Hard science fiction, where um, they're using real linguistics, right. actual science. Yeah. Um, this. They say things like, oh, it binds to the two types of DNA together, and it does it right now, like right. as we're breathing. Mm, it's not 
the tattoo from one character mm-hmm. appears on the other characters because their DNA is binding together. That's mm-hmm. hey, guess what? When you get a tattoo, it doesn't appear on your DNA. That's not how DNA works. So there are some things that are kind of silly, but mm. it's interesting and it's beautiful to look at. And I really want to see if there's more films in the series because it ends kind of ambiguously. It does. Me. And I, it doesn't, I don't, we don't know how well it's doing. I mean, it's up against Black Panther. So well, but mm. this is also a time when there's a lot of films released at the same time. Yeah, March so, is supposed to be like a dead zone and there yeah. are several movies out right now that I'm planning on seeing. Right. So, so I, yeah, it's gotten better. It used to be that it was seasonal. You got a movie like this in the summer, but I did. I appreciated. It. I thought it was an interesting movie. I liked the the development of the characters. I liked where a lot of it was going. I would like to see if there's a sequel because I want to find out what happened to these people. Read the books. No, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to read. You them. don't read books that because, were well, no, written after you were born. The issue is that if I read the books, the film might take me a different direction, and I've started with a film. Yeah, it's sort of this is the Harry Potter thing for me. Is that if I read the books at this point. I can't get away from the influence of the film. Okay. And Take so, them as two separate things. It's yeah, what I had to do with The Shining. But I, it's also a huge commitment of time to read through all these books That's and right. then try to sort of divorce yeah. it and then be disappointed. And if you don't film. like reading, I can understand. I don't mm-hmm. know that I like reading science fiction as much as I like watching science fiction movies. Right. So From I get a certain that. age, I like the science fiction. But I think that, a, you know, as time went on, it's just gotten really strange. And a lot of the tropes that I saw developed when I was a kid now are overused. Yeah, I could see that being. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Everybody's talking. Stop. Okay. (laughs) Stop singing. I'm enjoying singing right now. All right. Well, I'll let you sing us out. But first, I'm going to say if if you like us, please subscribe, uh, share with your friends. Um, If you have uh, questions, concerns, comments, if we said anything that was wrong or upsetting call us out yeah let us know um we're on twitter at latecomers pod um or you can gmail or email us at gmail at latecomers pod at gmail.com uh Uh, i'm on twitter at amity armstrong and i have the first book of ghost stories oh yes available on amazon amazon ceiling night that's s-e-e-l-i-n-g a psychomantium remember that strange word psychomantium you don't have to you could just google lemuel gonzalez or go to amazon and look up lemuel gonzalez that's l-e-m-u-e-l you forgot oh my god on the spelling of your name no i didn't but i did uh, what else? Thank you to the Freak Fandango Orchestra, which I got on the first try for our theme song, uh, Late as Usual, which may or may not be in this one because I might be playing a little bit of Everybody's Talking. <gasps> I'm not going to pay for it, so we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We love you very much. And remember, everybody's <laughs> I don't hear words saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping staring I can't see their faces Only the shadows